Hey, book by book, we are doing Bible study here in the garden room of a Christian household in Ealing, suburb of London, England. We're just 20 minutes drive from Heathrow Airport. I'm Richard Buse, joined here by my colleague, Paul Blackham, and also by our special visitor for this series of studies that we're doing, Alec Matia. It's the book of Isaiah that we're doing, the biggest book in the Bible, apart from the Psalms, of course, and we thought that we'd call the whole series of studies that we're going to do, Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. That's from the New Testament. Well, let's start away with chapter 1, and uh, we'll take, first of all, this theme of human shame to begin with. Here we are, chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, says God, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, taking this theme of human shame, Alec Matia, we're very thankful to you for joining us in this series of studies. I'm ever so grateful. I'd like to ask really, first of all, why should we study this book of Isaiah? Was Isaiah the most important of the writing prophets, as far as you can see? I, th I think all the prophets are important. You, you know the man who was asked to give a list of the minor prophets, and he said, far be it from me to draw distinctions between holy men of old. He said, let us rather give a list of the kings of Israel and Judah. Ah, oh, sweet. Oh. Yeah. That's so sweet. I, I don't think we should draw distinction between the prophets. And in his own way, Malachi is just as important as Isaiah. But, yes. but he's doing his own thing under God. Malachi was answering questions people asked, whereas Isaiah was in a very panoramic way looking from where he stood right out to the end of time. Well, that explains why then Malachi is lumped in with Isaiah back in, well, later on in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 1, verse 2. Yeah, the first and the last of the prophetic books, do you see? I understand. Of so course. is that that because Isaiah is, begins the section called the prophets, mm -hmm. that if you want to refer to any of the prophets, you could just say Isaiah? Well, it would seem so from that verse in Mark, yes. Oh, yes. yes. Chapter just like, two. like yeah. Jesus speaks of the last section <clears throat> of the Bible as the Psalms. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, there were, as you say, Alec, these great Old Testament prophets. And, of course, contemporary with Isaiah was Amos, Hosea, yeah. Micah, mm. you know, Jonah. They were all mighty prophets in their own time, and for us today, they're read all over the world, of course. I think so, the, the thing about Isaiah is that uh, he, he comes to us every Christmas and Easter, doesn't he? Mm, yeah. And, and, and the passages that speak of the birth of Jesus, or pr predict the birth of Jesus, and, and especially the great passage that predicts the death of Jesus, oh. they're so familiar to us. Yes. And, and thanks to Mr. Handel, Mm. Even more familiar, you know, yeah. so that we, we already feel a drawing towards Isaiah. Oh, we do. And in fact, he's often been called the fifth gospel. That's right. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. That's right. And why also, any other thoughts, Paul, about that? Why, is Paul, why was Isaiah regarded as a favorite? Well, 
I, I think as you go through it, you discover there's like even that bit you read. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. All the way through, you get these wonderful gospel bits that you could you want to just preach them. As soon as you read almost any I could open at any page almost on Isaiah. My eye will alight on one of these absolute diamonds that the saints have loved down the centuries. Oh, preachers love them. Preachers love them because the Isaiah, you can tell he's a preacher himself and he's so he's so he's got so much imagery and he's got such a great turn of phrase and always he's got that gospel heart and he loves the lord and he's looking forward to christ in all these different prophecies can i I ask a question please sir why did you invite me here today when you got him (laughs) (laughs) well i regard you're both wonderful bible scholars and i learned from both of you and uh, it's lovely to be looking at these first five chapters which really form our first study. Actually, of course, in our study guide here, which viewers may want to get hold of. Perhaps you've already got on these study guides on Isaiah. Um, in this first section, first, what, five chapters, um, how should we understand these first five chapters, Alec? I mean, they have no historical details. So what's going on here? Well, I can really tell you how, how I understand them. Um, uh, Every author who writes a book writes an author's preface in which he sets the scene. And I think that's the function of these first five chapters. Uh, You see, Isaiah doesn't tell us of his call to be a prophet until chapter 6. So in many, many ways, chapter 6 of the book as we have it is chapter 1 of the book as Isaiah saw it. Uh, and, And the first five chapters are scene setting chapters. It's like a, really when you have a film, that often they start halfway through to put you in the picture. Yeah. That kind of idea. That's the idea. I understand. And is it fair to say that is what he's doing? Because really a lot of it is just talking about all the problems. Is that what he's doing? He's That's sort right. of just saying. Well, he's, he's putting down a backdrop. This is, the, this is the situation into which I came. This is what things were like when I was called to be a prophet. And ultimately, this is why I'm writing my book. Mm. Because this this is the situation that I'm I'm trying to tackle. I understand, mm. and of course the context is one of well, I suppose you could say that there are five great themes that uh, the these prophets were taking contemporary with Isaiah as well. Mm. They all seem to talk about the special relationship between God and His people, mm. uh, unbreakable. But then how Israel and Judah have broken the relationship. That's second. Thirdly, how God therefore visits judgment upon his people, through, particularly through hostile nations like Assyria and Babylon. Fourthly, how those very nations themselves come under judgment mm-hmm. for their wickedness. And then last of all, of course, as we shall see in Isaiah, I'm sure, how that God's mercy and protection extends towards his people in terms of restoration. Well, you see, that's all in chapters 1 to 5, mm-hmm. in, em- uh-huh. in embryo. Yes. Because... The, the, un, uh, that is to say, until you get to chapter 5, yes. in chapters 1 to 4, the note of hope is constantly there. Sometimes it's concealed. In chapter 1, he says in verse 26, I will restore you as at the first, which is a concealed way of saying I'm bringing David back. Mm. Because David was the first to settle in Zion and make it his mm, capital yes. city. I'm bringing David back. Uh, and then, of course, you get those the marvelous poetic, lyrical passage at the beginning of chapter 2, 
about beating swords into plowshares, <laughs> that passage, and the, and the equally poetic passage in, which consi- in chapter 4 yes. of the Lord coming to dwell in Zion. Mm. So there's this constantly, our eyes are lifted up to hope. And, and as we'll say, I think many times on our way through Isaiah, it's an undated hope. Therefore, it, it acts for the people of God in the same way as the second coming. It's something you say, it's imminent. It can happen today. It might happen tomorrow. We'll wait for it. Yes. Uh, and, and, and in the meantime, the hope will bear us up. And yet, of course, in these opening chapters, in this opening chapter here, it looks as though hope is dashed. I mean, I'm looking, Paul, at your, well, verses 11 to 15. Yeah. Yeah, your new moon, moon festivals, yeah. your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me, says God. I'm weary of hearing them. <laughs> that is your prayers. So why does the Lord condemn the temple sacraments and sacrifices and the festivals of the law? I mean, surely those were good things, mm-hmm. the sacrifices. Well, they are good things. And of course, when he introduces his attack, he actually says that they're like Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's like the ultimate insult to them. And then he attacks them. He actually accuses them, as you say, on the thing you'd think they were best at. You say, oh, but we're so religious. And we're looking mm-hmm. at all the sacrifices we do and temple, singing, festivals. That's almost exactly the point, that those were the things that are kind of put to cover up and like a cloth put over the top. And what's really going on inside under that? The other day, I was actually cleaning in our shower and it looked perfectly clean and everything. Then I removed the cover from the shower trap and underneath it was like, oh, I haven't cleaned this for like a month or so. And I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, that. And as soon as I did it, I thought of Isaiah 1. I suddenly <laughs> thought the way that things can look perfectly good on the surface, but underneath, and the Lord always looks underneath and he's like, yeah, but what's going on? Why are you doing these things? Are your hearts full of me, love for me, or are you just going through the motions? Are you using these things as a cover for uh, all sorts of things? And that's what the book's going to reveal over and over again where he says, look, do you love me? Where are your hearts? If you're not with me, if your heart isn't fixed on me, don't bother. Don't bother with any of these things. Yeah. I mean, of course... If you know the language, yeah. spirituality mm. is the easiest thing in the world to fake. Oh, yeah. And that's the terrifying thing about it. Mm. I mean, Alec, I'm looking a lot about the, this coming day of the Lord that you mm. touched on. Yeah. I mean, in chapter 2, verse 10, uh, verse 10 and verse 19, these are phrases here that are used in, actually in the book of Revelation yeah. uh, later on. Yeah. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from dread of the Lord. That's chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, and yet, there are times both of salvation and judgment that are featured. You get it there in verse uh, 4, the end of verse 4. As you were saying earlier, they will beat their swords into plowshares, etc. Um, so how can that one day in the future be both, well, judgment and salvation? Well, look back to the Exodus. That's, that's very often a good thing to do. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, it was at Exodus time that Yahweh the Lord revealed the meaning of his name and he revealed it as having a double meaning. He is the Lord who saves his people and judges his enemies. And very often, uh, Old Testament people who write on the Old Testament forget that double meaning. And for example, in, in Amos, they say, well, Amos is a, is a prophet of judgment, so how can he end on a note of hope? 
But if they remember that Yahweh has a double meaning, they'd say, how can he not end on a note of hope? Mm. Because Yahweh is always the God who saves his people and judges his enemies. So judgment and salvation are twinned. That's such a helpful piece of really? study, yes, it is. <laughs> and I'm sure that when we're sharing this with our friends who are sharing in this program, we want to take that to heart. Well, you get the same thing as true, you see, of the second Suicides. coming. Read, read uh, 2 Thessalonians 1. The, the, he will come to be admired in his saints on yeah. the very day when his enemies are, are, uh, are judged in flaming fire. Yes. Wow. Yes, that day, unlike some other belief systems, we're actually waiting for a conclusion to everything, a day mm. that's coming. And uh, Paul, we're still waiting for that day. But I'm looking at chapters 3 to 5. The, I mean, the people of Judah faced it much more immediately then, for mm. them. How does Isaiah link the final day with the sort of limited earthly judgments mm. that we're going to come from Assyria and Babylon. I know it's it's amazing, isn't it? Because he's he's sort of speaking, saying, "Yeah, everything." He's sort of got in his mind that big cosmic judgment, but he's actually saying, "But right now, Assyria, as you were saying, Syria, Babylon, they're coming. They're going to judge." And I think it's a way that the Bible makes that point that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That and so now the crises of life, wars, famine, everything that happens that's a, all those in a way the Bible says are kind of birth pangs of the big thing. So whenever even our own little crises in our life are, t- are warnings telling us about, look, the, every, you, we're all going to die. Well, everything's going to be shaken and fall down. All the empires of the world are going to be fall down. So it, for Israel, Judah then, he's saying, listen, you've got a, a judgment day coming now when all these things that you think are going to give you security, mm. your religion or your political alliances or your houses or money, all of that's gone. Or even now, in this very soon, that's going to be gone. So use this as an opportunity to think about the the big, the cosmic, the global mm. meaning to everything. Mm. I think that's true for us all is, when yes. all these yeah. things happen. Do you, do you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, I do, yes. Yeah. I think we've got to take into account the fact that the Old Testament is at every level a book of expectancy. Mm. And the Lord taught his people to ask about every next king, is this the messianic king? And every next prophet, is this the prophet foretold by Moses? And every next threat, is this the day of the Lord? Yeah. To live in that element of constant expectancy. Yeah, indeed. So that they would have looked upon the Assyrian threat as the day of the Lord until they discovered that it wasn't. Yeah. That Assyrian threat was enormous. And then what we learn from it, of course, in the scriptures, is that God can use even... Assyria, as he used Babylon, he can even use Rome yeah. to bring about uh, the birth of the, the Savior in the New Testament. It's a, it's a thing that C.H. Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher, once said, that God many times gets up in the world on Satan's shoulders. <laughs> he, can, he can use evil things. <laughs> Marvelous. To be about his... That is so true. I know. Yeah. Well, I think what we might do is to close off this study right now. Um, and... As we do close off, let's keep in mind, maybe a sentence of the scriptures to learn by heart is that one we looked at, preachers have preached it. Hey, you can preach it. Next time you give a Bible study to somebody or a coffee morning or you're speaking out in the open air somewhere, people 
maybe in Africa or wherever. Well, take it. Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together. God says, let's turn this over together. Uh, I'm helping you, and you're going to cooperate. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah 1, verse 18. See you next time on the study, and we're looking forward to it very, very much.